espresso shots and, and mochas and all that stuff available for a dollar. And if you're a real man and you want a real cup of coffee, we can get you one of those too uh, with the pour over station. Uh, so each and every week, remember, you don't got to go to Starbucks. You can just stop over here, each drinks a buck, and it will be well worth your time over there at the coffee bar. Uh, I remember the time in the relationship between me and my wife where we went, where I, actually it was just me. I don't know about her. She claims different. It always goes that way. Where I went from like to like-like. You remember that? Like there's a point where you like your wife, but then you like-like your wife. And I remember that point in time. And I found out because I started to get jealous with the people that she was hanging out with. In fact, one of them uh, was a cast member in Napoleon Dynamite. Guess which one? Pedro. No, it wasn't Pedro. <laughs> if my wife chose Pedro over me, we would have some major problems. Kip. Kip, no. That, I would have hung out with Kip rather than, yeah. Uncle Rico, no. You guys are getting weird. It was the guy, I don't even remember his name. He was dating Hilary Duff's sister. Zach. Zach, was that? Wow, you know that movie way too well. Zach. Uh, she knew him somehow, and uh, they walked into the house together, and at that point, my status from like to like-like came up because I said, I'm not going to let that happen anymore. And then we ended up dating, got engaged, and then came the moment where we got married. There was an event where now the exclusivity of our relationship was clear because of an event. There was a point in time where I said to her and she said to me, the love I have for you will not be shown to anyone else. There's an exclusivity to this love that we have. This relationship will only be between you and I. And for us, and if you studied the passage this week, you understand that that took place in your life the moment that you became a Christian. You see, the moment you became a Christian... The love that you had for anything else other than God should have gone away. And the love that God has was directed solely at you. And in fact, the Apostle Paul said it this way in Galatians 6.14. May it never be that I boast in anything except of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. For by it, I was crucified to the world and the world was crucified to me. Now you have an exclusive relationship between you and God. The love that you have cannot be given to any other. And if you try to, it will have damaging effects in your life. So go with me to 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. 1 John 2, verses 15 to 17. John writes this. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eye, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. There's this idea about love that I'm sure everyone in here understands. When you got married, you devoted your focus of love to one object, to one person, and it cannot go to any other. If you have ever dealt with anyone who's gone through a divorce, who's uh, any, dealt with anyone who's ever um, had someone commit adultery on them, you understand the devastating effects of having love professed and committed and then broken. Love by its nature is exclusive. In fact, that's point number one. Don't you write it down that way. You got to remember the nature. Realize the nature of love is exclusive. Realize the exclusive nature of love. 
Because when I profess my love to my wife, I have now defined, I have now demarcated, I have now distinguished all of the relationships based off of that love that I have for her. And the way that I spend my time with other people and the way that I uh, spend my money and the way that I do everything with those people is now defined by the love that I have with my wife. John is saying here, it's got to be that way with your relationship to God. You cannot say, I have love for God and yet also have love for the world. See, it's very interesting in a book that's pretty hard-hitting. I think this is the first official imperative in 1 John. I'd have to go back and check all the messages I didn't teach. But out of the other ones that I saw, this is the first time John is hitting us with an imperative. And it says, you cannot love the world. It cannot be the characteristic of your life to love the things of the world. It must not be your habit or your persistent way of life. Because if you do that, you cannot say you have love for God, because love by its very nature is exclusive, okay? That second half of the verse is kind of nebulous. It says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, I think you could take it either way. Does that mean the Father's love is not for you? Or does that mean you don't have love for the Father? And I think in the original languages, you could take it either way. But the context is going to show us that this is about our love for God, now, we're going to study this later in 1 John 4. Anytime that we love God or profess love for him, 1 John 4, 19, it's because he loved us first and gave us that love. But this is definitely talking about our love for God because it's telling us we can't love the world. The imperative is not don't let the world love you. It's you can't love the world or else you cannot have love for the Father because love by its nature is exclusive. So we want to make sure that we are not loving anything that is a part of the world, okay? So when we proceed after ungodliness, when we go after things that are antithetical to God, we got to realize that we're doing something that the Bible says can't take place if you really love God. Now we should define real quickly the world, okay? Uh, the world in John can have a couple of different meanings, and we do that same thing with words today. If I walked into the room and I said, oh, the room is cool, uh, you would need context to know if I meant temperature-wise, the room is really cool, or if, you know, ambiance-wise, I think the room looks really cool. we got to define by the context which usage is being used. And sometimes in the Bible when it says world, it's just talking about people in general. Everything to do with the world, the physical nature, the, the, the world itself, the people in it. But here in this context, another context, you see that when it's talking about the world, it's talking about a system. It's talking about a, a, a sinful system that is opposed to the things of God. And that's the way John is using it here, very negatively. You can't love things of the world that are opposed to God and say that you have love for God because those two things can't coexist at that point in time. We're going to find that later on in a moment when we start talking about the flesh. The flesh in the Bible can be talked about as just your physical body or it could be talked about in a theological sense, meaning the things that are opposed to the spirit. So we're having John tell us that we can't love attitudes or passions or desires that would draw us away from God because by its very nature, love is exclusive. But notice where John takes it, okay? If you love God, you cannot love the world. And if you love the world, you cannot love God, verse 15. But 16 says, let me tell you a little bit more about the world. It says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride and possessions is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And so now he defines a little bit more what it means by the world. It's these cravings. It's these passions. 
that in and of themselves might not be bad, but when they're attached to the wrong thing, passion becomes a very sinful thing. So to be in love with the world is to follow these different passions. So what you and I need to do is make sure we are not following these different passions to different effects and different sins in the world. Let's take a look at them first. The desires of the flesh. The passions of the flesh. I think this is a, an internal thing. John is giving us a list of internal, external, and sinful mindsets. This is the internal part. If you follow things in your life, if you lust after things, if you have a, a great desire for things that are fleshly, then guess what? You can't say that you love God. Now again, flesh now is defined in the theological sense, not physical sense. This is what is opposed to God. And let me show you that. Turn to Romans 8. Turn to Romans chapter 8. We're going to find out a little bit about the flesh here. Romans chapter 8. Verses 5 through 8. Paul talks a lot about the flesh. A couple of different passages will clarify what he means when we talk about the flesh. Notice the antithetical nature of the flesh and the spirit, or life apart from God, or life with God. Romans 8, 5 through 8 says, For those who live... According to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And now we see this distinguishing mark. When we're talking theologically about desires of the flesh, things that pull us away from God, we're talking about something that if we're a part of, I can't say I have love for God. I can't say I have that exclusive devotion to God because what these things are, they are hostile to God. They're opposite of what God wants. They're, they're what Jesus came to die for. And if I'm a part of something that Jesus came to die for, and that's my way of life, why would I ever say that I love Jesus in that sense? But that's kind of all theological and theoretical. What about the practical? Write down these verses, Galatians 5, 16 to 25. Galatians 5, 16 to 25. And that is going to clarify how you can know if you are now following the desires of the flesh. Galatians 5.16, but I say to you, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing what you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Then verse 19 is so clear. But the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. And we're stopping and we're thinking, okay, good. You're talking about these big sins of sexual immorality and you're talking about these big sins of idolatry and you're talking about sorcery and all these big sins. I don't have those sins in my life. But what does the rest of the list say? Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. So it's not just these huge sins of adultery and pornography and idolatry that we're doing. It's if I see myself getting angry a lot, I'm probably chasing a desire of the flesh. And if I'm constantly chasing a desire of the flesh, why would I say I love the things of God? If you can find in yourself this, this jealousy towards people constantly, 
and it's affecting your relationships, guess what you're allowing to happen in your life? You are submitting to the desires of the flesh. You are lusting after fleshly things, and it's causing you to react in these sinful ways. The opposite of that, the rest of the passage we're going to say, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And then Paul goes on to say this, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh along with its passions and its desires. See, if you say you belong to Christ, you have love for Christ, there is not a passive role that you take in putting to death these things that are in your life. I mean, have you, you thought of crucifixion? That's a pretty gruesome image. And that is what you should be doing to the things that are drawing you away from God. And if you're noticing these things that you're craving, these internal desires that you're having are leading you away from God and you're doing nothing about it, how can you say that you really have love for God? It seems like you have exclusive love for the things of the world. That's what we want to avoid. We want to make sure that that's not going on, that we are crucifying them. How about back in 1 John, okay? Back in 1 John, not just the lust of the flesh, but the lust of the eyes, desires of the eyes. I think this now makes it external, and we have a culture where this is pretty easy to do. I mean, you go to the mall, and your eyes are arrested by everything, material possessions all over the place, and the desires of the eyes can attach to the internal desires of the flesh and create havoc in your life. We've got to be very careful not to let what our eyes see become what is very tempting for us to follow. I think that's the way it was put by Eve, right? Uh, Eve saw that the fruit was good and desirable and that what attracted her to the sinful desire of idolatry in her heart to want to be like God and now she's falling to those desires. We've got to make sure that that doesn't happen. Finally, pride in one's possessions. Uh, that word for possessions will show up later in 1 John, uh, talking about uh, if you see your brother in need and you have the worldly goods, the worldly possessions to help him and you don't help him, you don't really love God because you're not helping the tangible need with the possessions you have. So this is saying that if you've got a lot of possessions, a lot of physical possessions, and you are boasting about those a lot, you are taking pride in those things, or you're boastful when you use them, you have a love for something other than God. Uh, I was, this was illustrated for me, uh, a, a good way to handle this by uh, my dad. He was able to go one time to a, uh, like a preaching camp. Like you, you, you think band camp is nerdy. <laughs> preaching camp. Like my dad went to a preaching camp and John MacArthur was there. And they got to go to John MacArthur's house. And uh, John MacArthur uh, was sitting down. Everybody came in the room and my dad grabbed the chair. And he, he came up to credenza. I say that. I'm not really sure what a credenza is. Is that, is that a piece of furniture that would be in a living room? Credenza? Yes, maybe. I thought it was an urn, but apparently it's not. What is it? What's a, what's a credenza? A desk. It's a desk, yes. Pulled the chair up, hit the credenza, and like marked it or whatever. And my dad felt so embarrassed. I mean, he's sitting next to John MacArthur, one of his heroes in the faith, and he's just, you know, heard his credenza. But MacArthur, instead of, you know, getting angry or upset or sending him a bill afterwards, simply just said this, hey, it's all going to burn anyways, right? That helped my dad, who was very embarrassed by the whole situation, really realize and understand possessions in and of themselves, they're not evil things, but if they become things that cause us to react sinfully, now we have these arrogant, prideful possessions that are in control of us. We've got to be very careful that we don't. Have the right view of your possessions. Ultimately, 
they're going to burn anyways at this point in time. So with all these things, the internal desires of the flesh, the external drive with the, the lust of the eyes, and the pride that we can take in our possessions, we got to, number two, be, be very careful to make sure that we protect our hearts from harmful desires. Because we really got to make sure that we do this. Like, speaking even of that last one, pride in possessions, I was thinking about this with parenting. When I, when I teach my kids, you know, the idea of, you know, a, cl- a, cl- a clean house, right? That's something that we all want. Or being nice with the, the things that people give you, right? They give you something, you drop it, that's bad. You want to be careful with things that people give you. Now, I understand I want to teach my kids responsibly, and if they are being negligent in the things that I've given them, well, then, you know what? We need to teach them a lesson, and I'm all for that. But if when they make a mess, and it's an accident, and that turns into us now berating the kid for doing that, what are we really teaching them about the possessions that we own? See, I'm all for teaching kids lessons, and they need to learn that when you have juice in your hand, this is Trenton. Trenton doesn't want to have a juice cup and hold it with two hands. He wants to be negligent and dump it with one. He will get disciplined if he does that. But if Trenton, with his chubby little ankles, can't always pick his feet up and he trips and falls, I'm not going to berate him because he's now messed up the carpet. Because that's an accident and those are things. And I don't want to teach him that with my anger that things are more important than a relationship between people. i got to watch these sinful desires in all area of my life. I, I kind of get this idea from Proverbs, it's 423. You've got to guard your heart, for from it flow the, the things of life, the issues of life. I want to make sure that we're guarding our hearts. Jesus said it this way, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot love God and money. He also told us not to lay up for ourselves treasures on earth, but treasures in heaven. Why? Because where our treasures are, there our hearts will be also. This is about our love and our affection. Is it towards harmful desires and harmful things? Or is it towards the things of God? It's pretty simple in a sense, the things that the Bible tells us to do to guard our hearts. It's a very difficult thing to put them into practice though. Uh, Anybody know the name Joseph Glitton out there? Joseph Glitton, trivia question for you. They ever ask you who invented barbed wire? Joseph Glitton, okay? Joseph Glitton was a man, used a coffee grinder, I found out, to create barbed wire. And he did that because he was a farm owner, and it was during the time that the cowboys would come across the United States. And there was no way to delineate what land was what unless you had a lot of money to build wood fences around acres and acres of things. So he came up with a way to come up with barbed wire, which was strong, small, simple to produce, and very effective to put people out. And he was able to guard and protect his farmland because he put up these hedges, okay? It was a simple idea, but it takes effort to put it into practice. It's the same way when we're trying to guard our hearts from sinful desires. i got three ways right here that I want to tell you. You can guard your heart from these sinful desires, and they're real simple to say, and they're real simple to talk about, but it's going to take effort for you to put them into practice. First of all, repent of sin. I think it's Jesus in Matthew 24 who said, when uh, iniquities increase, love grows cold. If iniquities are running wild in your life, if iniquities are constantly, you know, piling up and you're not repenting of them, your love that you say you have for God is growing cold. 
So if there is not a time like we studied in chapter 1 where you are confessing your sins to God and because God has shown you great love in the cross, he's going to forgive those sins, then we're just going to let those things pile up and it's going gonna, it's gonna to harm our heart when we do that. Uh, secondly, starve selfish, sinful desires. You've got to starve those. Because when I indulge them, now I make them stronger and I'm, I, I whet my appetite for them. I get that from Romans 13, 14. Romans 13, 14. We want to starve sinful desires. There it says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. I think something like to gratify its desires, to fulfill its desires. So there is that part in there where I want to take the sinful desires I have and I don't want to do them. I want to starve them. Guys, that means sometimes in your sanctification, it's going to be very hard and it's going to hurt because you are starving something. You are not giving it the sustenance it needs to live. You're letting it die. It's starving. So if you're not experiencing that a lot in your life, then chances are you might not be fighting the temptations and the desires that are coming at you. I mean, even in our accountability times, I think you should be able to come and say, it was a tough week, okay? Uh, by the grace of God, I made it through, but there, there was desires that I wanted to fulfill. I did not do it, and I'm thankful to God that I didn't because that kept me from further sin. If you can't say that, I don't know if you are really fighting the right way because to starve something is to feel the, the pain of it, and we've got to make sure that that's going on in our life. Finally, study the attributes of God. Do it with your spouse. Take some time to read a good theological book. Um, go over Pastor Mike's uh, Compass Night series on the attributes of God. Partners chapter 2 has God's attributes. Over and over again, there's just different ways for us to be able to, to study and know God. And when I study and know God, I get to know him more and more. And then I'm going to grow in love for him the same way you do with your spouse. Right? The more that you know about them becomes the more that you love them. And that's what we want to do for God. So we want to make sure that we are starving these desires because as John will say in 1 John 2.16, these desires, they are not from God, but they are from the world. Again, that antithetical nature. We've got to make sure that we are guarding our hearts against these things. But John gives us some incentive, okay? This is some good stuff. It's not just we're going to starve something and have nothing to fulfill it. It's we're getting rid of what is temporary in order to enjoy what is eternal, Look at verse 17. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. What a great contrast. The world right now, as we know it, the system that is against God, the system that opposes God, is really passing away. It's in the process of dying. And the desires that go with it, they're going to end one day. Great example of this, if you just want to write it down, is Hebrews 11. I think 24, 25, and 26, talking about Moses. Whenever you find Moses in there, it's, it's, that's what it's talking about. Because he says, Moses, by faith, decided not to go with the Egyptians and the passing pleasures of sin, but rather went on to be with God's people. Because to be with God's people is to be investing in what is eternal. We've got to be able to make that discernment in our life and not chase after things that are temporary because to do that... Is just pure foolishness. I put it down number three this way. Don't waste your love on what is temporary. Don't waste it. It's foolishness to do that. I've just never been a big fan of Canada. Anybody like Canada out there? My wife loves Canada. You love Canada? You just stood up for attention for Canada. 
If you would have started saying the national anthem, I might have tackled you. I don't, just Canadian things. I just, I just don't like them. I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's because you gave us Nickelback or Paul. Did you give us Polly Shore too? Did you? Is he Canadian? Bieber, right? Bieber. Did I say more? Thanks, Canada. Jeez. Did you know in Canada? This is. T- tell me if this is true or not. It says it on Wikipedia. You guys have ice palace hotels where people pay money to go sleep in ice. If you want to talk about ridiculous countries, let's just talk about that. To sleep in ice, but I can't say that it's only Canada who does that because we've done that here in the United States. Okay? Uh, in Colorado, it was at the turn of the 18th to the 19th century. Uh, a town was really struggling and they needed to make some money, so they came up with this attraction to build this ice castle that had ballrooms and restaurants and different, you know, events that people could come to and they, would, they were hoping it was going to build up revenue and it was really exciting for the first, you know, little while. But they had an early spring that year and uh, with the ice being what it was made out of, uh, it didn't last long, okay? It was a temporary solution to what the town needed, which was a long-term solution. Now think about this, okay? Let's just say... I live in Colorado for some reason in, the, in 1895, and I'm there, and I take my family, and I say, oh, I hear they're building a nice palace, and guess what? I bought us the biggest ballroom they have in there, and that's where we're going to live, okay? We're going to go live inside that ballroom. Guys, it's the best and only ballroom in Colorado. It's going to be really great and awesome. I've spent all of our money on it. We're going there as a family, and that's where we're living, okay? Would I be a good husband and father if that's what I invested my family's protection in? no. Because it's not something that will ever last. If you, let's say dads and husbands in the room, are chasing after things that won't last. Pornography, right? It's a, it's a temporary sensation that will come. And then it will destroy your family. That's what you're going to do. You're going to risk your family for something that is so, so temporary. You don't understand the difference between something that won't give you long-term pleasure versus the things that will give you long-term pleasure. Sacrificing for your family, giving them the love they need, protecting them, guiding them. The joy that comes from that because God created the families to work that way. If you invest in the right things, you're going to see joy, but you're foolish if you don't. Same way Jesus said it at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, right? Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them is like the man who builds his house on a rock. And that's firm and lasting. But if you hear God's word and don't, you build your house on sand and it's destroyed, it's temporary, it will never last. Look at this passage. The world is passing away and everything that you're chasing, if you're doing that, you're a fool if you do that. Don't let that be the testimony of your life. When we follow after the things of God though, not only is it sacrifice, but it brings us joy. I love the way that Jesus put it, John 15, 11. I speak these things to you, the things I want you to do, that my joy might be in you and your joy might be full. That's what I'm talking about when you sacrifice and love and do what God's calling you to do. Now the joy is full and you're living for what is eternal. Don't waste your love on things that are temporary. Okay, we want to make sure that we do that. How do we invest? Well, it tells us whoever does the will of God abides forever. This is not what is earning us our salvation. This is evidencing that we have the salvation, that Jesus has died for us, 1 John 2, that we now do his will. And it's something very, very active. Don't just get caught up in trying to assume that I've got to think and try to find the will of God over and over again in the scriptures. 1 Thess 4.3, it's the will of God for your sanctification. 
Okay, I know that. I need to be pursuing it. 1 Peter 2.15, it's the will of God that you submit to governing authorities over you. Great, I'm going to be about that because this is the will of God that he's revealed to me. It's revealed over and over again. If I find those things and I do those things, I'm now investing in eternity. Let's have that. You can write down Psalm 40 verse 8. I love, I love the verse. The, the desire of the psalmist is this. I delight to do your will, O God, your laws within my heart. That's the prayer that we should be having. God, I want to do your will. I want to do what pleases you because when I do what pleases you, I'm investing what is everlasting. John is telling us we cannot have love for God and love for the world at the same time. We must have an exclusive love that is devoted to him and him alone. Turn with me to James 4. James says it a little bit stronger. James chapter 4. Look at uh, verses 4. I'll get there. Verse 4 through 4, 4 and 5. Notice the contrast that he makes. James 4, 4. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes, desires, longs for to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God? Or do you suppose that it is no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that God has made to dwell in you? See, I love the way he puts it in verse 5. Do you suppose that scripture has no valid reason to say the things that it does? When you love the things of the world, you go after the things of the world, you look at the Bible and say, that speaks for no purpose in my life. That's why coming and studying, that's why investing and memorizing verses, that's why doing the daily Bible reading is so important because you want to know what God says and know that it has the authority to tell you what to do in your life. When you go after the things of the world, it's as if you're saying, this, this isn't valid in my life. This has no rule or authority over me. Don't be someone who is known as a spiritual idolater. The Israelites in the Old Testament, over and over again, you guys are Here's the language, whoring after other gods. Don't let that be the testimony of your Christian life. God's love is so beautiful, so encouraging, so everlasting, so unconditional that when you build your life on that, you find the strength and security and peace you need to make it through this life and then you're, one day you're going to enter into the presence of God. So I pray that we would be a group who is known for chasing after those things and not just the temporary things. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this ability to look at your word. And God, I pray that we would never let anything rival our love for you. God, the fact that you would sacrifice so much for us and give us so much, it should be so easy for us to be able to devote ourselves to you. And God, I pray that each and every day we would realize the truth that Paul said, that if we've been crucified to the world, it's been crucified to us and there is no relationship there. So help us to be known as lovers of God and lovers of other people so that we might be uh, setting up a great testimony for the world and the next generation. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.